Hey, fellow Creepsters, this is Azana. Baby. And Vivi. And you're listening to an episode of Sinister Sightings with Donna and Carrie. Enjoy! And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 118. And y'all just heard that intro by the lovely Azana and her daughter Vivi. Did it, Vivi? I know, so sweet. You said that like, it's so fluffy. <laughs> she was one of our winners. We say it all the time, but you know what? The winners stepped up. The winners were just cranking out those intros left and right. And you get an intro and you get an intro. I know. So if you want to get an intro, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And. Uh-oh. <laughs> now, if you can't afford Patreon, we get it. But join the Facebook group and we'll be giving away some more soon. All right. The first story. What is up, my friends? <laughs> in my head, I had that in, in my head. That was Will's voice. Oh, okay. Uh, you know how Will says, what's up, guys? Yeah, that, and that was what came out? How did you say the first one? Well, they say, what is up, my friends? And then how did you say it? What's up, guys? No, not that. No, no that, that's not what you said. Well, kiss my ass. <laughs> 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 what is up my friends that's, that's what, what you they said. say i know they didn't say it i mean they said it but they probably didn't say it as silly as in I the said cadence it. of you yeah yeah well hush <laughs> well they continued to say i have quite a few stories but i think i would get overwhelmed trying to write them all in one email so I'll give my most recent ghost happenings and my what the fuck 2020. This is weird story. So I recently stayed over at my best friend's house and being X extra large pizzas into large pizzas, we decided to get some 1 a.m. exercise in at our closest cemetery because we're also spooky bitches. I wanted to stick to the little gravel road that circles the headstones, but my friend wanted to walk straight across, so we did, but walking over dead people turns my stomach. Ew. They said, ooh, not me. Nothing happened while we were there, but when we got back to her house, the radio was on and just playing white noise. Freaked her out, but I'm used to it. Next was maybe a month or so ago. I was always waking up at 3 or 4 a.m., the ghostly hour. So I'm in bed, 3 a.m., it's pitch black in my room, and I'm just laying there, trying to get my eyes to adjust so I can get up and pee without breaking my little toes on that stupid fucking chair I had to buy because it's so damn cute, but bust a toe on it once a week. (laughs) I literally was about to be like, me too, but I thought you were going to talk about that one little corner of the bed frame. Yes. Oh, every time. So, eyes open, finally adjusting, and I realize there's a woman standing right at the edge of my bed, maybe a foot from my face. What? I do one of those loud intake of breath, then launch myself back into my husband and start hitting him while whisper yelling, Oh my God, there's a ghost beside the bed. In a blink, she's gone. My husband sees nothing, and I hold my damn pee till the morning because fuck that. 
I've been seeing ghosts all of my life, and I have loads of stories about them. I'm even remembering some as I type these, but another email. So on to my weird what the fuck 2020. I recently found out that I have a sister. My mom had her when she was 16 and put her up for adoption. And through the weird thing that is Facebook, she found us. It's been wonderful, and I've been spending so much time with her. Just experiencing a sister is weird enough because I only had brothers growing up. The paranormal part is I think someone or something tried to tell me a year ago about her. I had been driving home one night and was passing a cemetery. A car drove by me, and the headlights lit up my back seat. And when I looked in the mirror, someone was in my back seat that looked like a young version of my mom. She just smiled kindly at me and disappeared. I don't look a lot like my mom, more like my dad, but my sister is a dead ringer for her. I do know that the cemetery I was passing is where my grandpa is placed and that my sister's adopted father had passed away that year. That's all for now. I hope you gals are doing well and I very much appreciate you having my ear holes while I'm working. Creep it real and don't get scared from one of your Canadian witches, Adele. Whoa, to all that, one, the 1 a.m. workout in the cemetery. Y'all are some spooky bitches. And no wonder y'all went from extra large to large, because that's dedication right there at 1 Mm a.m. You know what I'm doing at 1 a.m.? Sleeping. Damn right. You know what I'm doing at 1 a.m.? Playing phasmophobia. No, snacking. Love Island's back, so soon it'll be watching that. Also, though, uh, you have a bladder that Carrie is envious of because you literally got, like, the pee scared out of you, but you held it. You don't know me. All night long. You don't know me. I'm envious of her bladder, and I can hold my pee. You don't know me. But I do. All too well. Just like Taylor Swift I was going to say. <laughs> oh, my favorite song. Also, congrats on your sister finding you and stuff. Yeah, and- that's really cool. Yeah. Okay, on to the next one. Deer or Bigfoot? Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard a deer scream? I'll add a YouTube clip if I can figure out this dang technology. Here's the story. We lived out in the country, and the house butted up right against a county road. Across the road from the house was a field and then the woods. I was leaving my boyfriend's, at the time, house to go to my parents, and it was dark outside. So we did our goodbyes and I was walking to my car when I heard it. Frickin' Bigfoot driving a bulldozer through the frickin' woods. (laughs) He was growling and snorting and all kinds of pissed off. He was taking out everything in his path and he was coming after me. All I thought was, this is how I die. Bigfoot is going to get me. I took off running towards the house. I'm running as fast as my stubby little legs could take me. I flung open that door. It bounced off what I thought was the wall. Well, the wall was really Gabe's face. (laughs) He was all confused and probably mad that I just ran into the house like a tornado. I stammered and probably yelled at him, Bigfoot, he's out there. He went out to listen and deadass said, That's just a deer grunting. Your scent probably crossed him and spooked him. You're fine. Well, my knight in shining tinfoil wasn't going to protect me from Bigfoot, but after begging and begging, he finally walked me to my car, 
said our goodbyes again, and drove as fast as I could in my POS 2001 Jeep Cherokee that tended to overheat when you looked at it, would go. From then on, the porch light remained on, and I always had a flashlight. Because, you know, spooky things lurk in the dark. Okay, and they did learn how to do the dang technology, and they have a YouTube clip for us. Did, did they say ex-boyfriend? At the time, boyfriend. Okay, good. Because that motherfucker was a butthole that would not walk you to your car when you were scared. I would have fucking walked Donna to her car if she was scared. You walk your fucking friend to their car if they're scared. Motherfucker. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, shit. No, I, I completely agree. Also, I never knew deer sounded like that. I didn't either. Look, we may be from the South, but we don't know Southern things. Mm-mm. No. I do know some that if you do see a deer crossing the street or road, I don't know. They're not a chicken that's going to cross the street. But um, stop because there's usually another one at least. Well, don't stop in the middle of the road. That's don't. bad advice. Yes. Don't stop. Believe it. <laughs> unless you can because it happened to me this morning too i was like Mm-mm, i know there's another one coming and lo and behold it was see the first deer was a carrie second deer was a donna <laughs> lollygagging i swear to god it was like oh what is this on the ground like it was looking down on the ground and was like oh wait i'm coming i'm coming i'm coming and the other deer was like waiting i was like but on the other side like it was like oh my god Come on. I was like, mm-hmm, that's, that's me over there. Like, oh, what kind of flower is this? I will be like, hey, did you see that in the window over there? Blah, blah. And Carrie's like, no, what? I'm like, yeah, it was over here. And I just, yeah, I lollygag, but I, I look around. Not Carrie, her long legs just take her everywhere. Look, nobody's got time for that shit. And oh my God, when we had to wear a mask everywhere, Carrie would... She's already at least three of her leg links in front of me. And then she turned around and, ma'am, I do not know what you were talking about. So, uh, well, and then can this, you just wait on me when it, just wait? No, this girl, this is what she does. And I say, don't stop because she's behind me. I don't just walk in front of her though. I really do walk with her more than we're making it sound. Yes. But if I am in front of her and I turn around to tell her something, she stops. And I'm like, no, keep coming. To me, so you can hear me. <laughs> don't stop. Well, when she stops, I stop because I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, keep walking. Have a best friend, they said. <laughs> It'll be fun, they said. <laughs> It'll last forever. Oh, and good. ever, and ever, hmm. and ever, <laughs> and ever. Uh. <laughs> The next one is called The Old Hag's Crazy House. Oh, so it's about Donna. Hello, you beautiful ladies. I'm writing again to share a few more stories from my ridiculous life. You've already heard my awful story about the murder of my best friend. And twas me who messaged you on Facebook earlier this year after hearing the episode on the Watsika Wonder to let you know that's my crappy hometown and how paranormal stuff continues to happen in the Roth house to this day. 
I literally have a list of stories to share with you, but for sake of time, I'll only include a few right now because they all happened in the same house, which is relatively rural Kentucky, about 45 minutes south of Cincinnati, where I live now. Said house was my grandmother's and was, and probably still is, a hot spot for all kinds of crazy shit over the years, especially the paranormal kind. And I say probably still is because she sold the house a few years ago and has since passed away. So I've not been there in quite some time, but I have no doubt that whatsoever was in that house is still there tormenting the new owners. Fair warning, this is going to be lengthy, so let's dive in. While I was in college, my sister and her family were living in the house with my grandmother because she was a crazy old hag who couldn't handle living alone and needed to be taken care of. She was not the warm and fuzzy grandmother type, but that's a whole nother can of worms for another time. My sister is my other half. We're basically twins born five years apart and joke that we share a brain cell, only one. So wherever she goes, I go. Anywho, it's the weekend and I'm visiting for a couple of days. It's late and everyone was in bed except the two of us. We're hanging out in the basement, drinking and smoking a joint, or three. We're sitting on the couch when something suddenly swoops over our heads. We both look at each other like, what the fuck was that? And then it swoops again. It was a motherfucking bat. How it got in there, we don't know. But we can only assume it was because the garage door had been open earlier in the day and it had flown in unnoticed. The garage and the basement were attached, so the garage was under the house and down a winding driveway and around a hill. The room we were in was the room off the garage section. So we're sitting there, hunkered down on the couch, basically shitting our pants, and realize after a few minutes, it's gone. But where had it gone? Then we realized that little fucker had flown up the stairs into the main part of the house, where my baby niece was asleep. She's 12 now. There was no choice but to haul ass upstairs and rid the house of that little winged demon. So we slowly and quietly creep up the stairs, which led out into the kitchen. As we get into the kitchen, we hear a scuffle. We flip on the lights and see that little fucker stuck in the fly trap hanging from the ceiling by the fridge, writhing and trying with all its might to get unstuck. You know the ones that are the long strips of super sticky yellow tape stuff? Yeah, that's what it was stuck in, and it was not getting out. But hey, it didn't get to my niece, so stick on, motherfucker. But now we have to figure a way to get this bastard out of the house and off the sticky. My sister ended up pulling the trap down, and we armed ourselves with metal pancake spatulas, took that fucker outside, peeled it off the trap with the spatula, and ran our asses back into the house before it could attack again, and proceeded to laugh hysterically about what just happened. I guess it must have survived because it was gone the next morning. On to the next one. This happened while my sister was still living there. We were on the phone late one night, just catching up. She was sitting in the basement as to not disturb the sleeping household drinking. This last point is important. Also, keep in mind that we are hardcore Second Amendment family and are heavily but discreetly armed at all times because of instances like what I'm about to describe. So we're talking when all of a sudden 
I hear a sound of breaking glass and she drops the phone and yells to me to hang on. Y'all, someone was trying to break into the fucking house while we were on the phone. My sister, being the gun-toting badass that she is, hears the side door being slammed into, drops her beer bottle, which shatters on the concrete floor, picks up the gun that was sitting next to her, it's Kentucky after all, yells at the intruder, do you want to die today, fucker? I hear all of this unfold over the phone, literally unable to do anything except listen. Of course, the fucker didn't want to die, so he promptly ran his ass right out of there. My sister then barricaded the door, picked up the phone with me still on it, grabs another beer, and sits back down. Can we say badass? I love my sister. She's amazing. So now I'm going to jump ahead in the timeline a few years and tell you the last story that includes my sister. I have one more after this that does not include her. It was just after the house had been sold, and we were there late one night cleaning and packing. She had previously moved out, but ended up moving back in to help the old hag get her shit together the last year or so that she lived in the house. Remember how I said the house is a hot spot for crazy shit? Well, we're sitting in the kitchen, drinking, we're luscious, and taking a break from cleaning and packing. The kitchen was attached to the family room, and there is a huge mirror on the far wall of the family room that we could look across the family rooms and see perfectly. We were talking about the house getting sold and all the crazy shit that happened there over the years, just kind of reminiscing, when all of a sudden, a huge black shadow passes over that mirror on the far wall. We both saw it at the same time and stopped dead in our conversation and confirmed that we had both just seen it. I was immediately covered in chills and have chills now just telling you about it. Neither of us know exactly what it was, but we both felt its darkness. We quickly changed the subject and did not talk about any of the other experiences in the house that night. Now for the final story I'll share that happened in this house, and is easily one of the most terrifying things that has ever happened in my 31 years of life. It's about a year after I finished college, and now I'm living in the house with the old hag grandmother because my sister had had more than enough of her shit and had moved out. It's late one night, seems to be a recurring theme here, and I'm in the computer room surfing the interwebs because I have nothing better to do and dear old granny is fast asleep. It's important to note that the only light on in the house is the one in the room where I'm at and since this room faced the backyard, the light could not be seen from the front of the house. And remember how I told you about the long winding driveway with the garage in the back? Makes it seem like nobody's home since there are no cars out front and no lights can be seen. Out of nowhere, something tells me I need to get up and check the house. Like, now. So, I do. As I'm coming out of the room, I see the huge picture window in the front living room is lit up from outside. From where I'm at, I can see outside, but nobody would be able to see me. I crept slowly into the living room to get a better look and can see the light is coming from a pair of headlights in the front driveway, which the picture window overlooks. At the same time that I see the headlights, I hear footsteps coming around the back porch to the French doors on the balcony that faces the backyard. I hear the footsteps stop at the French doors. I flip the lights on in the foyer just as the door starts violently shaking. Whoever it was saw the lights come on, obviously realized the house was not empty, and ran. The headlights disappeared and I went to bed with a baseball bat in my hand and did not sleep at all that night. 
I bought a gun the next day. Sorry this has been so long, but I wanted to share all these stories in one go since they all happened in the same house. I'll write again soon and tell you more about the bizarre experiences I've had. Until then, creep it real. Much love, Tanya. Holy shit. I had a grandma much like that. One that was like the quintessential like loving grandma and then one that was like a hard ass that was not the loving kind. That house needed some damn security cameras is what it needed. <laughs> and some motion sensor lights. Oh my God. No, it didn't need some motion sensor lights. Yeah, to keep those prowlers away. I mean, yes, but oh God, that would scare me. Look, your kitchen scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Mostly because it has a mind of, minds of its own. Well, oh my God. Mind of its own. So my kitchen came with a motion censored light. I am not that fancy. The guy who <laughs> lived here before me was fancy. Look. It's the dumbest fucking light on the planet. I can literally be sitting in the living room and like take a deep breath and the fucking thing comes on. But then I can literally be standing in the kitchen and walk and get a glass of water and it doesn't fucking come on. Seriously. Like, I'm not joking. Bo can walk in the kitchen and it come on. Or I can literally be sitting in the living room and like reach for the remote and it come on. Yeah. Yeah. But I can walk past it and it not come on. Right. I mean, like, and, and be doing things in the kitchen. Like, mm-hmm. like, be in there for a minute. Yes. And not come on. It's the dumbest shit. Yeah. I was being a smartass and I was like, okay, so I'm really weird. And, you know, I like a, well, I like things hard. We all know that. But I like a hard back to chairs. And so I was sitting on her hearth of the fireplace, as Colby says, I can't remember what he said, but he was like, how can I trust you? You you make a chair out of a hearth. Like, who does that? And I'm like, it's comfortable. It has a hard back. I like it. Anyway, but I was sitting there and I like put my leg up. Nothing. I was like, I take a deep breath in and the light came on. And I'm like, literally, it makes no sense. And seriously, though, it's so weird. And it will freak me out sometimes because I'm like, who's in the kitchen? What's Madonna. going on? <laughs> Just kidding. So the motion sensor things, I understand what you're saying, but sometimes they can malfunction and freak the fuck out. So true. Also, I loved when you said you were in the, well, kitchen, but you were like, we're luscious because y'all were uh, taking a break from cleaning and packing. Well, that would be us, but not drinking. We would be snacking. Yeah. 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 Usually like a meat and cheese tray. That's what we would get. Oh, God. I love a fucking meat and cheese tray. Mm-hmm. Like like basic ham and turkey meat and cheese tray. Mm-hmm. Like I'm talking like the basic pre-made from the deli. Like mm-hmm. not super fancy like charcuterie board. I mean, I do, love, I do love one of those too. Oh, hell yeah. However, like the very basic pre-made shit in the deli. When I lived by myself, I would just buy one of those and eat it for like three days in a row for dinner. (laughs) In a row. (laughs) (laughs) It's how passionate I was about it, okay? Okay, Louis Armstrong. (laughs) Man, Louis. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, on to the next one. (laughs) All right. I'm pretty new to your group, and I just listened to the episode about the Ouija board. And I just had to tell you that I was one of those dumbasses who played it in a cemetery at night on Halloween. Uh-oh. 
This cemetery is also in a wooded area, so kind of creepy. I know, not smart, but in my defense, I didn't know a whole lot about the Ouija board and was playing with a group of friends. We put it on a grave and my friend's uncle was asking questions. And honestly, he was drunk. And some other people were also drinking, so it wasn't a very serious moment. But I remember looking over my shoulder to a house that was by the cemetery and seeing someone walk towards us. I know at least one other person saw it too, so we grabbed our shit and ran out of there because we thought it was a groundskeeper person or whatever they're called. When we got to our car, we looked back to where we saw the person and there was no one in sight. I've always been scared of the dark. I know, ridiculous, but something about it terrifies me. And ever since that night, I am now super uneasy. I never look behind me and I always walk super fast, even just going from the bathroom to my bedroom. I've always slept with the TV on because it makes me feel safe, I guess, and not so alone. But if it goes off for some reason, I usually wake up not too long after and turn it back on immediately. Anyways, I don't think we ever said goodbye that night and have always wondered if that left me a little more vulnerable to the paranormal. Anyways, I love your podcast and am so happy I found it and will have to tell you some more things I've experienced another time. Caitlin C. Look, I'm very much a skeptic, but I very much do not fuck with a Ouija board. (laughs) I am very scared, but I very much want to fuck with the Ouija board. Yeah, you crazy. Well, I am certified crazy, yes. You're not certified. No. You just take medicine for yeah, it. Yeah, I just take medicine for I it. I mean, we all do. Yes. Colby's done it before, and I don't think he wants to do it again. Yeah. He did the homemade kind, right? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure. Well, I know one time, I think he... I know one time, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but, hmm, that's pretty much all my stories. 100%, I think. But did, like, the homemade kind of make your own board. Now, that shit is scarier than, like, a board to me. Yeah. Because that's, like, intentional, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, you're making it and stuff. Also, I feel like you have to be with the right people. Yeah, he was not with good people. Yeah, so I think that kind of, yeah, that. True. Well, maybe you closed it and you just don't remember closing it. But if you didn't open it and, like, maybe your friend's uncle did or something, maybe he closed it. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? But also, there's got to be like a loophole because there's so many people that don't know the fucking rules. There's got to be like a loophole. I don't know. But also, I am the same as you. I do not like the dark. I can sleep in the dark and stuff, but I don't like it when I'm awake and have to move through it. Like only certain places, like Carrie's hallway. You never turn lights on. In your hallway, do I ever go down it yeah, with a yeah. light yeah. off? Yeah, no, no, no. You do, you turn, you turn my hallway on. But I'm saying, like, if you're just, like, hanging out, like, you don't ever turn the light on. Exactly. But in your hallway. Yeah, you terrified of my hallway. That hallway fucking freaks me out. I never walk down it unless she turns the light <laughs> off on me. Because her hallway, because whoever built this house was also scared as fuck of that hallway. Because it has a switch on this end and on that other end. And it's not that long of a hallway, y'all. You know that like literally all hallways except for the hallway that was in your old house has switches like that, right? All of them? Uh Uh-huh. Every single? Yes. 
Not every single one. Every house I've ever lived in has. How many houses you lived in? Three. Okay. House houses, not mm-hmm. including apartments. I was trying to think of the one in Houston if it had it. That was also kind of creepy, though. Mm-hmm. That house itself was kind of creepy, though. So was the landlord. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're listening, and thank you. He ain't listening. All right, the next one. So I'd like to start off by saying thank you for the awesome podcast. I listen to y'all while at work. It makes my day go by faster. Okay, so here's one of my stories. Growing up, I had the strongest bond with my grandpa as my dad passed away three days before my first birthday. My grandpa had promised my dad he would always watch over me, so he took the role as my father when my dad passed away. When I turned 18, my grandpa was diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's, and he lost the ability to speak. I would visit him daily, and vice versa, he would walk down the road to see me, as we only lived a couple of houses down from each other. Over the years, his health declined, and he became immobile. My mom was the one who would take care of him, as my grandma wasn't physically able to anymore. I stopped visiting as frequently because I just couldn't bear to see him in that state of helplessness. Out of all the grandchildren, any time we would visit, it's like he would always recognize who I was and just smile at me. Several years later, I was 26 years old, married, and living several towns away from my family. I was supposed to go visit my grandpa and grandma. Well, on that day, though, it was stormy and really bad weather, so I called my mom to tell her I wouldn't be able to visit after all. Unknowingly, that would have been the last time I would see my grandpa alive. I went on with my day just doing chores at home when around 11.30 p.m. as I was folding laundry, this sadness overcame me and I just started crying. It was if someone was trying to tell me goodbye. It was an overwhelming feeling. My husband came into the room and asked what was wrong and I told him what happened. He suggested I call my mom and ask her if everything was all right, but I refused as it was super late. The next morning, I received the call that my grandpa had passed away. I beat myself up for years because I didn't get to say goodbye to him. In a way, I felt that what I had felt that night was him saying goodbye to me. You know, people say that those who have passed away will visit you in your dreams, but he never did, so I just waited for the day he would. My husband and I have been trying to conceive for seven years. I had surgery done to help with my endometriosis and still with no success, no baby. I went to bed on a normal night like no other, and this is when I had a vivid dream. I was in a field of flowers when, in the distance, I see someone approaching. They get closer, and I could see it was my grandpa, but he wasn't alone. He was holding a little bundle with a blue blanket. As I run to hug him, he smiles and hands me the little bundle. I was overjoyed as years had passed without seeing my grandpa. When I hugged him, I could feel his warmth, and he smelled just as sweet as he always did. He hands me this baby, and as I look down to look at what he has handed me, I look back up, and he's gone. I wake up crying because it was such a special dream. I guess something about that dream made me want to take a pregnancy test that morning as I kept so many tests in the house. That was the first day I saw two lines for the first time. Oh, how I cried. I couldn't believe it. So I ran to the other restroom to get the digital kind, the one that said pregnant. Well, several weeks later, we did a gender blood test. And guess what? We were pregnant with a little boy, just like in my dream. I guess my grandpa waited for me to heal 
waited to give me the good news. He waited to be the one to tell me in a special way that I was pregnant. I haven't had any dreams with him anymore, but I will always remember this one. That's so special. That's amazing. That's freaking amazing. It's so sweet and sad and everything. Well, congratulations on getting pregnant and for sharing that with us. That's such a just yes. a sweet moment and so personal. Yeah, and I know that it's such a hard struggle for so many people. I know it's like this like secret club that there's so I don't I know I've said this before because I know that's what it's like for family members of mine who have like had difficulty getting pregnant or have had miscarriages in the past and it's like it's like this secret club that you're part of that everybody that's in the club knows that they're in the club but nobody talks about it you know and it's like so it's really I appreciate you sharing your story too yes for sure okay hi Carrie and Donna my name is Hilda and I'm from Texas but currently living in East Grand Forks Minnesota Love you and your podcast so much. Apologizing in advance if this is a little long, but I do have somewhat of a paranormal experience for you guys to hear. So back in 2014, I was living in my mom's house with my sister, mom, and stepdad. It was my freshman year of high school, and one morning I had forgotten my school clothes in the dryer. Our washer and dryer were in storage outside connected to our house. I went outside, sun was barely creeping out, and I was grabbing my clothes. As I was going inside, I had my back towards an empty field full of trees and bushes, which you cannot see through. When I was about to open the door, I heard a lady's voice calling for me and asking for help. I remember my mom always telling me that if a ghost were to call for you, never go towards it. So I continued to have my back faced the same direction. I was frozen in shock because I wasn't sure if someone was stuck out in the field. But the person, or whatever it was, knew my name. They kept repeating themselves, asking for help, and also asking for a phone to call someone. I stood there for about five more minutes before I ran inside, freaking out and crying. I ran straight into my mom's room and told them, Instantly, they believed me, but when they went out to check, no one was there. Fast forward a couple of years, we moved onto a street that was just a couple of blocks up. We came home one night to make sure our dogs were okay. My mom told me to get off and check on her. As I was calling her name, I heard a voice respond back to me, but I couldn't see because we had a huge tree in the front lawn and it was dark all around. I responded with, I'm sorry, what? And the voice responded back with, it's me. Are you looking for me? All this was happening right in front of my house, so I wasn't sure if someone was creeping our yard. When I turned my flashlight on to check, no one was standing there. I freaked out again and ran straight back into our car. At this time, I was having sleep paralysis every other week. Still, to this day, I'm not sure who or what that voice was. Sorry it ran a little long. Lots of paranormal things have happened in our family, so if you'd like more stories, I would definitely send them in. Remember to always creep it real, Hilda. So you don't know what it fucking was? Talk about an unsolved mystery here. 
that's fucking creepy. It's me. Were you looking for me? Nah, bitch. I tried to forget you. What if you can hear your dog's thoughts? What if you can hear your doppelganger from the other side? Oh, shit. Now, look, I'm trying to be all nice here. You gotta be all creepy. <laughs> what is wrong with this situation? Did the voice sound like what your dog would sound like? Like, is your dog like a little like poodle and then it sounded like, it's me, are you looking for me? Or is your dog like a Great Dane and was like, it's me, are you looking for me? (laughs) (laughs) Why does it have to have that kind of voice, Carrie? Because its vocal cords are longer and longer vocal cords (laughs) make a deeper voice. Not all times. Typically, I think. Speech therapists don't come for me because I can't remember which is which. She's just trying to prove a point to me. (laughs) It's based on the length of the vocal cords, I think. Don't quote me on that, though. Mm. But that's why. Good Mm. one. (laughs) Okay, the next one. Oh, a true crime one. Yes. Hey, ladies. My wife, who's a Creepinati member, introduced me to you cats about a year ago. Um, Not too slowly, listening to all your episodes chronologically. So if you read this, can you let her know? Anyhow, this is one of two true crime stories related to my life. She's been at me for months to send you. So here goes. My dad now passed away. I have a similar relationship to my dad as Donna. I guess both of you really. Always sending her love when she talks about her mama. Had a stalker for the last 30-ish years of his life. I fear this story might be kind of long. Sorry. I'm trying to keep it relatively anonymous as my mom doesn't like sharing things on the internet. It all started when I was probably three or four, early 80s. So while I know it's kind of weird and scary, it's the reality I grew up with, so I don't think it's that strange. Our local youth soccer league put on a dire plea for coaches, so my dad got a book on soccer, he knew nothing about it, and volunteered. He ended up coaching me and my next oldest brother's under-16. My dad's soon-to-be stalker's older son was on our team, too. Now, my dad is not what I think anyone would call a handsome guy. Wiry build, definitely balding, glasses, kind of goofy. But as I learned growing up, women did like him because he treated women with more respect than most men his age and in general, and always assumed they were smarter than him because he truly thought women should run the world because we'd do a better job. A guy also told me he had swagger because he didn't care about losing his hair. Anyhow, at some point, Jane Doe, as we'll call her, got obsessed with my father. At the end of the season, we'd have a big pizza party at the local round table with all the players and their family. We live in a small, more rural, sorry Donna, area where everyone pretty much knew each other. I guess a few weeks after the pizza party, Jane started to talk to people about my father, saying he had taken her to a romantic dinner at a pizza parlor. It was sadly extra weird as she had a husband and two kids. People let my parents know what she was saying and Everyone knew it was a lie because, one, my parents' marriage was rock solid and they worked together, shared a car, and pretty much did everything possible together because that's how they liked it. And, two, not one person in town saw said romantic roundtable date, not to mention us three small kids being the age of four through eight, i.e. so we had no time. Time went on and more people came to my parents with weird stories about Jane. 
My parents had built their dream house, and everyone knew it was ours. Jane told people my father built it for her, and she'd live there someday. My mom ended up having a double mastectomy when I was five due to precancerous cells, and she was cleared directly after. Jane told everyone she wished cancer on my mom, and after she died of cancer, he was going to marry us and send us away to boarding school. Meanwhile, she was still married. Probably around the time I was seven or eight, my parents were contacted. Apparently, Jane's mental health professionals were concerned there was an actual possible threat to my mother's and us three kids' well-being. I guess she had been having fantasies about seeing one of us in a crosswalk and hitting us with her car. At that point, my parents got me a personal alarm. Now, this was the mid-80s. A kid carrying a personal alarm was not a normal thing. But because my parents made it seem normal, I think they didn't want to freak me out. I didn't think too much of it. It was a very, very high-pitched air horn. You know, 80s technology. I think probably around this time, my parents told us about the situation with Jane and just to look out for slash stay away from her when possible. All throughout this time, I think, but I'm not sure, my parents dealt with random phone calls from Jane, but probably a year or two after the personal alarm, we started having random sporadic hang-up calls. And I do remember a call I picked up where they asked for my mom. My mom picked up the phone, got upset, told them to stop calling us, and hung up. My mom promptly called the sheriff's department, and they headed over to our house. I sat there while my mom explained the situation to the officer and that there was already a file on this woman with regards to our family. The sheriff asked my mom if she wanted to press charges. She explained that she didn't want to put the woman's poor children and husband through that, and it probably wouldn't do much good. Jane hadn't escalated past the phone calls, but my mom just wanted to have an incident recorded and maybe have the sheriffs personally warn her and notify her of the report. I learned this wasn't the first time my parents had the sheriffs do that. I remember the sheriffs come back after visiting Jane asking if my mom was sure about the restraining order. Probably within a year of that incident, we started receiving multiple nightly hang-up calls. The phone was on my father's side of the bed, so he always answered them, and the other end would promptly hang up. It continued like that for years. Because of being in a rural area, the old phone system, 70s technology, we weren't able to block or even identify the caller. They would call between one to five times a night, waking my parents up. My brothers and I didn't have phones in our rooms then. Over the next dozen or so years, my parents changed our number at least as many times. The caller would, within a week or two, get the new number and resume the night calls. My father was a local dentist, so our home number was usually somehow available for emergencies. And eventually, my parents started unplugging the phone in their bedroom at night, as there was no peace otherwise. Finally, pager technology was available where we lived. My dad got one for emergency notifications. We changed our home number and were able to get a bit of peace. We knew from word of mouth that Jane was still talking about my father and obsessed. I think around this time, her husband finally divorced her. When I was in middle school, my parents went on a two-week vacation. Us kids stayed with different friends of the family. One time, my oldest brother went by the house to pick something up. I think he was 15, and he found Jane sneaking around the house trying to find a way in. She took off fast, and my brother didn't know what to do. He told my parents when they returned from vacation, but I don't know if it was officially reported. I'm guessing it probably was. 
By the time I was in high school, 93 through 97, the hang-up calls started again. My parents returned to unplugging their phone at night, and the calls resumed during normal hours. It was also creepy, though, because the person would call at times when my dad wouldn't be home. Our second-story family room had a large picture window that gave a lovely view of the ocean, promise, not trying to brag, but also allowed a view in, though not easily. The house was on a hill and directly above a frontage road to the highway, but still possible with binoculars. I remember getting spooked a specific time by a hang-up call. I was in another room, and the phone rang. I went to the family room, and the person hung up just as my hand touched the phone. We always assumed these were from Jane, but really have no idea. When I finished high school, I was mostly at community college locally. I worked at my dad's dental practice alongside my mom as well, the office manager. I would be walking through the office, seeing Jane drive by the large glass door on Main Street, slowing down and trying to peer inside nearly daily. One day, I was in the middle of putting away a supply order when Jane came in. I hadn't seen her in person up close in years, but I immediately walked towards the front desk preparing to tackle this woman at her first move. There were a few patients at the desk, so she was standing behind a man talking to my mom. She seemed calm and polite, so I just stood and watched like a hawk. My father was finishing a procedure on a patient in the adjacent operatory with our longtime assistant. The assistant asked me to help clean out the operatory. I gave her a serious look. I said no and motioned with my eyes toward the desk. She knew this was weird, peeked out, and went directly to my father, who then peeked out and walked directly behind the woman. I moved closer in, and my dad and I surrounded her from behind as she approached my mother. She said hello, and we both dropped back immediately. We could tell from her voice it was not Jane. Thankfully, my mom and the woman had no idea what was going on. However, the rest of the staff, except for the one assistant, was wondering what the hell my father and I were doing. She was a new patient, and if you saw her directly from the front, you could tell it was not Jane. She looked very similar, but it was not her. Phew. Also, probably a good thing we didn't tackle her. A year or two later, we got calls from other local dentists in town. Jane had started the local community college's registered dental assistant program and was applying at all the local practices other than ours. They were warning us. They also said that there was no way they would hire her, knowing her history with my family. About a decade passed, and nothing seemed too different. Jane was still around, and I think on a less specific level, still obsessed with my father, but I think also because we were so used to the obsessive previous behavior, it seemed calmer. When I was 35, my father went to the emergency room with neurological symptoms. He was subsequently diagnosed with a rare form of cancer with an accompanying stroke-causing syndrome. We lost him six weeks after he went into the emergency room. I'm incredibly thankful it was swift and fairly painless few weeks, and then he passed. My mom spent all of the hours, less about nine of those six weeks, by my father's side in his hospital room and the small amount of time he was home, where he thankfully passed as he had wished. Our close family did everything we could to take care of both of them and keep him as comfortable as possible all those weeks. About a month after my dad passed, we had a large life celebration at a local restaurant. I had anxiety for many reasons the days leading up to it, Jane being one of them. 
I spent most of the six hours within feet of my mother, who spent most of the time receiving the probably three to 400 people who came. I didn't really think Jane would show up, but she had proven so unstable over the years, I couldn't let my guard down. Thankfully, she didn't show. In the weeks and months following my father's passing, I still worried Jane might get some weird idea in her mind and go after my mom. Finally, about a year later, that faded, and I've mostly forgotten about her. It was interesting. My father had three women in his dental school class in the mid-70s, less than 10% of the class. One is affectionately known as Aunt, and probably my parents' closest friend from dental school. His other two female classmates found me on social media and told me how sad they were to hear of my father's passing. He had been the kindest and most respectful of all the men in their class to them. And I think, sadly, that wonderful respect and acknowledgement my father generally showed women is a reason Jane became obsessed with him to begin with, obviously along with mental illness. So that's my very long story about my dad's stalker and her effect on our family. I hope it wasn't too boring. Creep it real, you fabulous ladies, Carol. Wowza. That's like your whole entire life. Yes. Your dad had a stalker, like your liter, like your literal entire life. Yeah, and seriously, that you had so much anxiety for everything on the celebration of life day, but yeah, that she had to be in the forefront of your mind that she might be there. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you couldn't even really focus on what that day was supposed to be because you were worried about your mom and your well being and just everything and thankfully that's kind of faded like you said but gosh and you know it's sad that yes she you know had mental health problems and stuff but it is sad that when men or women when people are nice and whatever it is sad like I always joke a guy holds the door open for me when I'm like kind of far away or something. And I'm like, oh my God, does he like me? Oh my gosh. You know, but like, it is sad that that's where we are. And I mean, someone can take that the wrong way in like, not that simple, but you know what I mean? And it's like, like, oh, they're, you're, they're literally just doing like the most basic human mm -hmm. function. Yeah. But take it like, oh no, they did that for me because right. they like me. Right. And obviously they knew each other and, you know, whatnot. But like with social media now and stuff, you really could take them holding the door open for you and find them. And, you know, like, if, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, because it's like, oh, it was this restaurant. Oh, and I saw this person take this picture. Let me see if they tagged. You know what I mean? It's like wild but well I mean any type of obsession like that I mean it's like you could say oh well they said this one word they said it that way that's because they're telling me a message you know yeah they literally with an obsession like that you can make anything be a mm -hmm. message to you or you know yeah because it's it's a delusion I mean it's mm -hmm. you know I mean it's a mental illness yeah well I I'm glad that it never escalated to a point where you were truly physically unsafe. I mean, yeah. I know that there were times where it definitely seemed like it got close. 
because it does, especially something that lasts that long. Yeah. It usually escalates well beyond that. But I hope that Jane got the help she needs. Me too. And good for your mom for contacting the sheriff's department to have that paper trail. Yeah, for sure. All right. Last one. This is bananas, condoms, and dead bodies. Oh, shit. Ladies, I bring you a story of heroes, liars, dead bodies, bananas, false backgrounds, and a name that ties a generation together. I'm speaking of Juanita Smith. In preparation for this story, I messaged some of my friends to ask if they remembered her. All I said was, do you remember Juanita Smith? And every response was, oh yeah, the lady with no teeth and the condoms on bananas? Yeah, no teeth, banana, condoms. Now, there's no shame in missing teeth. There's no shame in putting a condom on a banana to teach kids about sex ed. It's just pretty terrifying when a toothless 80-year-old lady comes at you with a condom, a banana, and the most terrifying smile you've ever seen, and then takes your hand and uses it to roll the condom down the banana. An 80-year-old? Now that I think about it, I don't know how that was even allowed. Sex doesn't even exist in Kansas, so we have no need for condoms. Huh. Anyway, she was the head of the Teen Pregnancy Prevention Program at our YWCA. Say that five times fast. I couldn't say it fast at all. You couldn't say it one time slow, barely. Right. Teen Pregnancy Prevention Program. Whew. So she was very important to our community. What you might not have expected is that she was a war hero. I'm going to try to explain this briefly, but the Pacific theater of World War II is so complicated. In the 1940s, Juanita enlisted in the Navy as a nurse. She was stationed in the Bataan Peninsula in the Philippines during the height of the Japanese invasion in 1942. The Japanese won the Battle of Bataan and... Approximately 80,000 American and Filipino troops were forced to surrender. Now, you have to understand that the numbers fluctuate depending on the source. I'm going with the highest numbers because I don't want to leave someone's memory out. These prisoners of war were forced to endure a 60 to 70 mile march, now known as the Bataan Death March. Of the 80,000-ish people who started the march, Only approximately 35,000 survived. Mm. The nurses who survived were called the Angels of Bataan and took care of the soldiers in the POW death camp. Juanita was one of these brave nurses. She told everyone who'd listened that her experiences led her to give back to her community. In May 2004, our local newspaper ran a profile on Juanita since she was such a badass. She was beloved in the community, thought of as a grandmotherly type, and was a total American hero. Except she wasn't. What? Calls and emails started coming in immediately after the publication, questioning some of the claims in the paper's profile. I don't know how someone was able to do more thorough fact-checking than the paper. Our paper was very reputable at the times in terms of fact-checking. But someone managed to get Juanita to admit that she had been lying for... <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> she had been lying for 15 years. 
that bitch. Right? Wow. I couldn't find actual sources for the claims, but she admitted she was never in the Navy and certainly never in the death march. Here I was feeling so fucking bad for... Oh, continue. She'd moved away from her husband in Washington State to live with her daughter here in Topeka. She'd made everything up to look good in her interview at the YWCA. I don't recall them getting any blowback, even though they were the first ones to not do a background check. On June 25th, 2004, the paper outed her false story and even indicated that no one knew what her actual age was. If you go by her obituary, she was born in 1922. If you go by the age she claimed to be, she was born in 1918. If you go by a newspaper called the Colby Free Press, she was born in 1921. Regardless of her age, she immediately resigned from her position at the YWCA, of course. My mom was an editor at the local newspaper, and her friend, another editor, was forced to resign over the scandal, and even though the story had nothing to do with her. Dang. She's been a family friend for years, but I only just found out when I started to look into this story. The freelancer who actually wrote the profile for the paper had gone above and beyond in fact-checking, but she was informed that her stories would no longer be published in the paper. I have no clue where the fact-checking fell through the cracks, because everyone seems to have done their due diligence. But wait, there's more. On June 28, 2004, neighbors reported that they hadn't seen Juanita since the day that that story came out. She wasn't the nicest neighbor in the world, but she'd always be outside and wave to her neighbors every day. They'd also kind of noticed that her daughter wasn't driving her to work anymore. She used to drive her every day, but Juanita started taking taxis to work every day starting in March. Oh, shit. Yeah, super suspicious. That was enough for police to do a welfare check. Inside, they found Juanita unresponsive but alive. They noticed that something really smelled down the hallway. So they went to check one of the bedrooms. There, tucked into bed, was a decomposing body of Mary Shannon Smith, Juanita's daughter. (gasps) Juanita had left a suicide note stating that her daughter had died on March 21st, 2004, but Juanita was unable to afford to bury her. Juanita survived, but we still don't know what killed her daughter. Most people think it was an illness. I believe Juanita spent the rest of her life in a mental care facility. She died in 2013 in a nursing home, and her obituary lists her age as 91. She certainly had one hell of a life, Despite all the lies and nonsense, she managed to make sex ed very memorable for us. So, if nothing else, at least she may have prevented some teen pregnancies, which almost always resulted in dropping out of school here. I hope that wasn't confusing. Creep your lies verifiable, I guess. Cat. P.S. If anyone's from Topeka, Kansas, let me know if you remember Juanita. Wow. See, okay, here I was feeling so guilty for being like, damn, they got this old damn lady teaching freaking sex ed. And then I was like, damn, these fucking high school students don't appreciate this war veteran 
that, right? you know, these, March. Yeah, these fucking high school kids probably making fun of this old lady. They don't fucking know. She walked a death march. She didn't. She's a fucking con artist. Right? Also, how the fuck, I mean, how do you make this up? Not, like, don't, she didn't just say, like, yeah, I was in the military. She said I was in the death march. The death march. It, like, oh, gosh. Because, you know what? She had enough to have them be like, holy shit. And then, like, you know, people would be like, look, she, who would lie about that? No one. Okay. Like, we're, we don't have to do that. Okay. Let's not fact check that. Like, okay. Let's just see if she worked at Walmart because, okay. You know what I mean? But, like, who was the, who was the whistleblower? And how the fuck, where you got your facts? Probably one of the angels who was there and was like, nah, I don't remember no Juanita. There were only a few who survived. You know? Like, mm-hmm. uh-uh. They were probably like, no, no, no. This is what I picture. One of their grandkids or something were like, oh my gosh. Holy shit. I just found one of your, like, comrades. Like, yeah. one of the angels. This is it. And like, you know, they're like, no. And she's like, yes, it is. Listen. And it's like, no. (laughs) Yeah. Like, no, I don't know her. Look, I know you can't remember, but this is, no. Yes. (laughs) You know, it's like, bring the pictures. I know. It's not. And they're like, but grandma, and they're like, (laughs) it's not her. I know, I know. But like, we'll talk about it in the morning. She wasn't there. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, after going through all the, she wasn't there. Yeah, then they like go through her diaries, and it's like me and um, Juanito. <laughs> Juanita was a no show. <laughs> oh my god, no Juanita. <laughs> I just picture fucking Ace Ventura when it's Finkel. Is that <laughs> like? Whoever got that, like, wow. <laughs> like, everything was a fucking lie. God. I, and then she fucking, oh, I hope she didn't kill her daughter. I hope not either. But it is sad that she couldn't bury her. But uh, I feel like may, there's. Allegedly, maybe, unless she did something to her and continued to get her checks. Right? I'm like, mm, because she went to tend to her. Mm-hmm. So, mm. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know about that either. But I feel like something sketch there. Yeah, that was a little sketchy. Like, you couldn't afford to bury her. Okay, I get. But, um... She was literally the ultimate con woman. So, take what she says with a grain of salt. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be a way. There's got to be some charity. Go a town over. They don't know your thing. You could tell them again. That you did this whole death march thing and you can't <laughs> afford to bury your daughter. And they would have been like, oh my gosh. Look, go to the Missouri side of Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Seriously, that like, I was like, oh my God, this woman is a fucking badass. And then it was like, except she's not. Wait, what? God almighty. I'm, Wait, I, I feel duped. Me too. <sighs> that was a roller coaster cat. Cat's emails really always are. Y'all, these emails were so good today. Thank yes. y'all so much for sending them in. Y'all know we love them. Keep them coming. Send them in to us, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.